grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. We're on a different time tonight. Uh, our guest requested that uh, she come on at 7.30 today. 30, 7.30 to 6.30 because of her scheduling. But uh, we got a great show lined up. Well, excuse me. We got a great show lined up for you tonight. My name is Charlotte. I'll be your host for the next hour. And uh, I... Uh, I own the uh, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team at www.californiahaunts.org. And this is the California Haunts Radio Show at www.californiahauntsradio.com. So uh, it's a mouthful of a lot of California Haunts Radio there. But I'm glad to be here tonight. And like I said, we have a great guest lined up, uh, Dr. Lynn Katai, who is very famous in that she, um, I'll let her tell her story, but. Uh, she witnessed the Phoenix Lights many, many years ago, and she, it, it, I, didn't say she I didn't say the word, she, is what I meant to say. Uh, she, it completely changed her life, and so we're going to talk to her about that, and we're going to look at the Phoenix Lights as well. I want to thank everybody for coming. Let me get this adjusted a little bit. There we go. And uh, I think it's going to be a great hour. Uh, this is a phone interview, so I'm going to be flashing some slides in front of you so you can see you know what what she looks like and what the lights look like and she's got a couple books out about the subject and all that so i'm really excited to be here uh, my team is nonprofit, and we are up and down the state of california um, including parts of oregon washington and nevada and hawaii i think i got everything yeah oregon washington nevada and hawaii and uh we're like i said we are we help a lot of people up and down up and down the west coast of California, uh, you know, up and down the west coast of the United States. Um, Lynn, Dr. Lynn is my guest. I'm really excited to have her. I'm, um, she, you know, the Phoenix Lights are, are a very, very famous thing. There have been a lot of documentaries about them. And a lot of documentaries have centered on Dr. Lynn. On, on, on Dr. Lynn. So uh, I'm glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here. And I'm going to go ahead and give Dr. Lynn a call right now. So we're dialing. Lynn Katai, who is very famous for her study of the Phoenix Lights. She saw them many years ago and has been studying them ever since. Lynn, how are you? I am good. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me to share the inside Phoenix Lights story with your, with your audiences. There is so much mis- and disinformation out there. Um, it took me some time. I stayed anonymous for seven years after thousands of people, so what I had been witnessing and documenting on film uh, for two years prior to the mass sighting, uh, to come forward after I pushed my whole medical career aside mm -hmm. for seven years, because I had no interest or knowledge in this topic at all, um, before my husband, who's also a physician and a healthy skeptic, uh, saw uh, unexplained aerial phenomena right outside our bedroom window in February of 19. 95, two years before the mass sighting, and I got pictures of a 35 millimeter. I'm the only one that we know of that, that actually has 35 millimeter photographs that are in the negative, so they cannot be denied or explained to this day by military or university optical uh, physicists and experts. Um, 
you know, what they are, I don't know, but I know that they are. And how we get topic out in the open and address it, accept it, and study it. So we can find out not only who's driving these things, but also move forward on our own evolution. Right. Um, going back, if you want me to start, sure. uh, you know, you, you you're you're the hostess, so let me know what you want to want to start with. Let's get to the history of it all. Go for it. Okay. Um, well, what's ironic, Charlotte, is that um, my background is not only science and medicine, but uh, I before I went to medical school, I was in community education. I was in uh, Broadway shows and and a professional singer, dancer. I toured with uh, Betty Grable in Guys and Dolls in Oklahoma. And, uh, with Gordon McRae and also understudied Barbara Eaton in The Sound of Music, Adriana Genie, and um, lots of other cool stuff if anybody wants to look at the bio on the Phoenix Lights Network uh, website. But um, kind of combined all of my expertise uh, during medical school to produce video and workbook curriculums and get the word out there. I started with NBC in Philadelphia and then USA Cable, and when we moved, to Phoenix in 1980, they were actually showing the syndication here at CBS and uh, did another news program um, on health issues for NBC and uh, and by the mid-80s had formed a company to produce video workbook curriculums on vital health issues like AIDS and teen pregnancy and substance abuse prevention education um, that was picked up by Discovery Education and uh, won all kinds of awards. and. Uh, when this fell in my lab uh, in 95, and I had no interest or knowledge in the topic at all, and then down the people saw what I had been seeing and documenting on film, um, it really sent me on a journey, uh, not only to educate myself, but after I had a 750-page journal seven years later, uh, condensed the best of what I had uh, discovered and documented, I continued seeing these, uh, what they call UAP now, um, instead of UFOs, uh, unexplained aerial phenomena and documenting oneself, um, and, you know, felt really obliged as scientists to get the data out there in a credible way as a physician to let people know they're not crazy, that they're, they're also not alone, even though most anomalies can be explained, only a small percentage cannot, just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. And it's really important for people to know once they've had a paranormal experience, it's real to them. And if you don't share it, it festers, it's not healthy. And uh, just sharing with one person, I always invite people, uh, if they'd like to share with me, I take confidentiality very seriously, either on the website, and if anybody's near a computer, um, we're gonna be uh, talking about a few things on the website, which is packed with uh, information to explore and consider, um, but if you uh, get on the photo page, you'll see that there, there are a, a unique collection of the photographs there. But anyway, um, getting back to uh, the, the early sighting, if, you're, if anybody's near a computer and get on the photo page, you'll see the topography. We're pretty high on a mountain in Paradise Valley, which is surrounded by the valley. Look down on the valley, and we also see the city skyline, which we're very used to seeing planes and helicopters and street lights and car lights. In fact, we uh, look towards the south, so we see the Sky Harbor International Airport, um, uh, you know, in our view, so we're very familiar with all those kinds of lights, and, and this was quite different. I mean, up until 
95, as I said, I was so busy bringing up two young men to, to be uh, caring, uh, productive adults, as well as my company, Health Education Learning Program, that I never really thought about the issue. And here, um, and by the way, there's a lot of coincidences. I don't believe in coincidence anymore. Um, and this is, this is where it started off, actually. Um, it was the uh, eve of my birthday, February 5th, excuse me, my birthday, February 7th. And my husband was standing at one wall of our bedroom as a window. And if you go on the Phoenix Lights Network page, if you Google Phoenix Lights Network, it usually comes up first or second. Um, and uh, one wall is, is the window, and he was standing by the window talking to my mother-in-law in Philadelphia, who had called to wish me a happy birthday. And nothing ever ruffled his feathers. He was on a number of hospital and state medical boards, and, and suddenly he sounded really alarmed. I was taking a leisurely bath in the next room, and he says, what the hell is that? Get over here quick. And I grab a towel, wringing wet, run to the window, and a little below us, we're pretty high on the mountain, mm -hmm. and if you look at that first picture, you can see the topography um, out there. Uh, not only did I take a picture and posted a picture with car, a car down the road, that has lights reflecting onto the road, very different than the true unknowns. But you'll also see to the right of that skylights um, that are consistently in the pictures that I took, which actually shows, if you look up from there, where the mountain range is, South Mountain and the Australia Mountain Range, uh, in the distance intersect, and, and I'll get back to that. Okay. But at any rate, um, I run to the window and I see three amber orbs in a pyramid formation, one on top and two closely aligned underneath, a little below us. And you have to just imagine, we're kind of nestled in the mountain range here. It's also a no-fly zone. Um, it's a gated community, so there is no way, and I underline that a billion times, that it was military. But here are these orbs, and I call them an orb, because the light did not extend outside the edge. It was self-contained. And they were oval-shaped immediately, because my first thought was to get my video camera, which was downstairs. I didn't want to miss anything. And mm -hmm. Many people out there, I'm sure, who have had experiences that are, um, you know, bizarre, paranormal, whatever, uh, you know, appreciate that you don't want to move because you don't know how long it's going to take. Mm -hmm. So I tried to take everything in mentally. Um, they were about three to six feet each, depending on how close they were. They were below us, and very treacherous desert landscape and it's gated so there's I looked down it was totally black there's nobody there and um, the light inside each orb and the orbs were actually oval shaped now it's interesting because I said that from day one but recently in the last couple of years Navy Nimitz pilots have come forward that had their sightings with video that they've been showing um, many out there may have seen that on the news and they described what they saw as being oval, which is interesting. I don't know if it's the same phenomenon, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, these were oval. And the, a uniform amber color throughout didn't glare at all. Every other light out there glared, house lights, um, street lights, uh, whatever. Um, but these did not. Very mesmerizing, very soothing. And I thought, if I don't get a picture of this, no one's going to believe it. And I go right into the closet to grab my 35 millimeter, which I kept handy because I collect sunsets, and actually one of the pictures at the bottom of the photo page, actually two of them, are sunset pictures with huge cigar
star-shaped, rod-shaped objects in the same place a month apart. But I digress. At any rate, um, I go to run for, for my uh, camera at, in the closet. My husband calls me back. He says, get over here quick. One of them is disappearing. And as we both watched in awe, the top orb, and I always go back to this sighting because I saw this up close and personal. I'm mm-hmm. close. The top orb, without budging from the other two that were closely aligned underneath, started to shrink very, very slowly, mechanically, as if there was an intelligence behind it. It's so difficult to describe in logical terms. It almost like a dimmer switch, but mechanically and very slowly until it was pea-sized. And then it disappeared, but it felt like it was still there. Where did it go? Mm-hmm. Another dimension, perhaps, whatever. I jump out on the balcony, get a quick picture of the two lower orbs. Now, that's there. That's the second picture on the Phoenix Lights Network photo page. And as I'm staring at these two lower orbs, I noticed them immediately an eerie silence as if time had stopped. It was just bizarre. And as I'm staring at these orbs, it felt like something was staring back at me. And I didn't share this with a soul until two years later after the bad sighting when I met with uh, a couple of the investigators. But going through my mind at that moment, I was thinking, who are you? What are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. The next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to shrink, just like the top one did. And something told me to take a, a picture, and I immediately shot a picture of that. That was the only one that turned out at the time. But for me, it was spectacular because I actually caught with a cheap Canon Instamatic camera. One orb half disappeared and one still there. But I didn't know who to show it to. I knew no one who was into the topic. Wondered for two years what this advanced technology was right outside our bedroom window and didn't see anything remotely like these orbs. And I'm I'm sharing this with your audience because Mm -hmm. there's a lot that leads up to the mass sighting. And data that is really important that people don't know, that people that don't know my story or haven't read the book or mm-hmm. looked at the website have no clue that there is much more to this story than March 13th, 1997, uh, when we had the mass sighting. But at any rate, fast forward two years, it's January 22nd, I'm lying in bed and I notice out of the big window three giant orbs at a distance in a line equidistant from each other, which to me is significant because they're equidistant. I mean, they're just, they look rock solid in a formation. They were amber, and I watched each one, after several minutes of, of watching them just hover there, um, seem to implode again, seem to shrink from right to left. Now, what also is interesting is that my husband was inside, I was outside in the cl- during the closed sighting. Mm-hmm. He never wanted to talk about it. What I shared with you is what I remember. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we, if we have time, we'll get back to that 95 sighting because okay. other pictures came out and um, they were analyzed by Navy optical physicist Dr. Bruce McAbee and he came to a stunning conclusion from the data, the, from the photo data. So, but anyway, getting back to the, um, the sighting, my husband never wanted to, to talk about it. He blew it off. I mean, everybody comes from a different background, from a different upbringing, from a different belief system, different worldview. Some people can't deal with this topic. Some people don't want to, and that's okay. That's okay. Everyone in their own time. But the data is there now if people choose to look at it. At any rate, 
I mentioned the three orbs that are distant far north, mm-hmm. and my husband just made a joke out of it. He said, do I still have to go to work tomorrow? Okay. Well, the next day, he actually had a medical board meeting that evening, and I come up to the bedroom, and I notice out of the sliding glass door that's perpendicular to the big window, about 8 o'clock, the same three orbs in an equidistant line formation at a distance are now in front of South Mountain, which is about 20 minutes drive from us. Mm-hmm. And I knew they were in front of the mountain because there's red blinking lights on the mountain to alert planes coming into Sky Harbor that there's a mountain there. And this was lower than that. And I figured, you know what, enough. I'm getting my video camera and I run downstairs. I was fully charged, by the way. I get outside. I get about 18 seconds worth. The battery goes dead. Which was weird enough as it is. I come inside. I hook up the battery. I go outside. They're gone. About a half hour later, about 8.30, my husband comes up the drive. And when he gets up to the, we're pretty high up there. And I, I go outside and I said, honey, remember I told you about the three huge amber orbs far north last night. Well, about a half an hour ago, they were right in front of South Mountain. As I'm pointing, they reappeared in the same spot. Okay? And I thought, wow. <laughs> I just pictured it. So, again, I don't believe in coincidence. And in video, it doesn't do the lights justice. They look much smaller. They're white. They flicker. Even though the, the uh, formations are compelling, mm-hmm. in 35 millimeter, they're in the negative. Okay, they cannot be denied or, or explained to this day. But anyway, I run upstairs, just as I'm ready to shoot the three. Suddenly, six lights, equidistant from each other, massive span, pop up over the three, and I started to shake. Not having an explanation for the 95 site, as benevolent and as soothing and exciting and wondrous as it was, just going through my mind, my goodness, what is this, a mothership or a fleet <laughs> Whatever. I didn't, I, I mean, I started to shake. And the first picture there, if you're on the photo page of the Phoenix Lights Network website, is kind of wavy because I was shaking. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I continued, thank goodness, to, to click away. And the second picture, in my mind, actually, is really a smoking gun because it shows five lights in a V formation. It looks like two are underneath. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, <laughs> Two months later, during the mass sighting, there were thousands of people that would describe five lights in a V formation with two trailing lights. Okay. Now, getting back to clicking away, the the formation that I was capturing head-on seemed to turn into a V. And the last picture of that series, you can see that every other light is bigger than the one in between. And what... It's been analyzed, and what was surmised was that the closer arm were the bigger lights, and the further away arm was smaller lights in between. So whether it was individual lights or objects or attached to something or have force field in between, you may never know. But I immediately, as the three are disappearing underneath, run inside, called the Arizona Republic newspaper, Somebody's got to get out there, click their strange place in front of South Mountain, please take pictures and tell me what it is. As I finished my sentence, they were gone. <laughs> Did not sleep well that night. <laughs> got up in the morning. I said, you know what? There must be a logical explanation for this. I'll just search it out, right? So I called the Arizona Republic again. I asked if anybody had called 
to report strange lights in front of South Mountain. The operator gets off, she gets right back on. He said, nope, nobody called. Well, I know I called. So I said, well, my husband and I did see some strange lights. It was a huge formation. I did get some pictures of it. I was trying to find out what it might have been. She says, well, sometimes we'll be Air Force Base sends out experimental maneuvers that they don't tell the public about. And that sounded logical. Sure. So I called the Air Force Base. And I tried to be very professional. I said, my husband and I are both physicians. We live mountainside in Paradise Valley. Oh, we saw some strange lights in front of South Mountain last night. Can you tell me, you know, what they might have been? And from the get-go, she had an attitude. And she said, well, I didn't come in from the Air Force Base, and they didn't come out from here, so we had nothing to do with it. So we said, well, be that as it may, we did see something really strange. How can I find out what that might have been? She said, well, you said that they saw something at the airport. Um, you know, why don't you check that out? So I thought, hmm, now it was a mission. Okay. <laughs> so I called the FAA at Sky Harbor International Airport, and I told the operator the same thing. She got off. She got back on finally. She said, well, she said, actually, there was a group of air traffic control at the airport last night that saw some strange lights over Class B restricted airspace. And a couple are here this morning. I said, oh, gosh, please, can I speak to at least one of them to see if we saw the same thing? Well, it took forever to get this guy on the phone, and he was very low-key. We, I met uh, subsequently. He gets on the phone. He was more excited than me. He said, did you see the six lights that were sequestered from each other hovering in information last night at 830? I said, yes, that's why I'm calling. He said, actually, there were three at 8 o'clock. I said, I saw those, too. He, said, he was excited that I had seen them uh, at a distance. He said, when they showed up at 3 o'clock, th the three showed up at 8 o'clock. And keep in mind, there is a 30-mile radius around the center of the airport. Anyone that comes into that airspace, particularly a 1,000 feet that these lights were, must call into the tower, and no one did. Mm -hmm. So when the three lights popped up at 8 o'clock, they got alarmed, and they looked on radar did not show up on radar, so they, then they disappeared. Mm -hmm. When the six popped up at 8.30, they really got nervous, and they took, they looked on radar, did not show up on radar, they got their high-powered binoculars to look, and in their own words, there were six points of light totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide, that seemed to be attached to something, but they couldn't see what they were attached to. And he was a meteorologist and said the entire thing turned as a unit against the wind. That's another significant point. And then elevated slowly in synchrony and moved behind South Mountain. So I said, so what was it? And there was silence. And then he said, beats me. I said, you're an air traffic control. You're supposed to know it's in our airspace. They ruled out every conventional aircraft, balloons, Chinese lanterns, flares, even skydivers with lights, okay? And we stayed in contact. I continued photographing these lights up until and including March 13, 1997. Now, real quick, another little coincidence that happened. Actually, two little coincidences. One, six months before the mass sighting, and I, and I share this because I, I really feel that this is an important piece of the puzzle. I work with Navajo uh, nation rangers, um, their law enforcement, and they have a lot of, of sightings up there. In fact, they had one the day before our mass, I think, that, uh, where the town is so used to it and they, they're so open to it that they sat out and watched these orbs going around in circles for hours. But 
anyway, six months before the mass sighting, I was invited to the Gila Bend, G-I-L-A, Gila Bend Indian Reservation, which is a very sacred ground in a basin in between South Mountain, which if you look at the first picture on the photos page, is on the left side, and the Australian Mountains a few miles back on the right side. And they intersect at one point. And I mentioned earlier, those house lights down the road are actually uh, indicative of where that intersection is Mm -hmm. um, of those mountain ranges. So you can see that consistently in the pictures. But at any rate, uh, after the mass sighting, I called up the principal. Because I had presented my substance abuse program and had helped them out a bit. And they don't usually talk to outsiders, but I said to him, did anybody happen to see Strange Lights on March 13th? And he started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? And he said, are you kidding? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, like beings. I had no idea. Interesting. That was the first I had ever heard of it. Pardon me? Yeah, that's very interesting. No, it, it gets more interesting because I, <laughs> I had no idea that indigenous peoples worldwide actually believe that there are other intelligences out there. And the Hopi right here in, in Arizona and many others actually have protocols to invite these other intelligences in. Many believe that these orbs are ancestors coming to give them guidance and comfort and knowledge and inspiration. And I have to admit, I'm <laughs> inspired to do this for whatever reason. Uh, I would have never chosen to do this, but here I am talking to you and your wonderful audience today. Mm -hmm. Um, But at any rate, he also said that the Estrellas got its name because of these phenomena that would pop up. The Spaniards named the the Estrella Mountain Range, Gateway to the Stars, Star in Spanish. And they believe that there is a gateway or portal in that area. Now, I, you know, I can't speculate if there is or not, but I, I say look at the data, it speaks for itself. Consistently, these phenomena from our vantage point keep popping up where South Mountain and the Australians intersect, where they believe that there is a portal or a gateway there. There's also petroglyphs, um, these, these scratched out etchings on the mountains there that are identical to what my husband and I saw outside our window, the three orders in a triangle formation, a pyramid formation. Anyway, that, that's one uh, aside that, that I, I found interesting and, and really, I think, an important piece of the puzzle um, that Native cultures believe that there are other intelligences out there and visiting us, and they're very open to it and very um, uh, they welcome them. I think that's an important aspect as well. But a couple of weeks after, before the mass sighting, um, it was getting ridiculous. I mean, I every time I saw these lights pop up out of the corner of my eye, the big window, um, I, I would feel compelled as a scientist to go out there and document them on film. Mm-hmm. And I figured this is really getting ridiculous. This is going on for weeks. And this is how close I was to anybody that was involved at all with the topic. A friend of a friend had a neighbor who had a friend who knew the past president of MUFON Visual UFO Network. And I, I figured, you know, let me call him up, which I did, and I told him I was seeing these lights, which he had not heard about, but there were other people taking them along with me, seeing them and taking pictures as well. In fact, one of the fellows called MUFON, who I'd never heard of, Mutual UFO Network, um, up to his balcony the night of the mass sighting, and they caught this uh, amazing, amazing arrowhead of five lights 
during the mass sighting. And those lights, if you just look at that video, I mean, they're either attached to something mm -hmm. or have a force field holding them in rock-solid formation. Anyway, and I said to him, besides seeing these lights, uh, I have a picture, which was the only one that turned out at the time, um, from two years ago, I would love someone of Creepy to take a look at it and tell me what it is. He refers me to a field investigator for that Wednesday, the following Wednesday, and who calls on Tuesday of that week to say that the then state director wanted to meet with us, but his mom had passed on Saturday. The funeral was Wednesday morning. Could we postpone? So I, I said, look, I, I'm so busy for another two, three weeks. The only window of opportunity I have is Friday morning at um, 10 o'clock. He said, fine. I knock on his door. He opens his door. The first thing he says, did you see the man sighting last night? And I said, well, I saw something similar to what I told you about happened in January. In fact, I got video of it. He says, fabulous, because NBC was coming to interview him in a half an hour. I said, whoa. I said, first of all, I don't know what this is. I don't know if it's a hoax or military or whatever. Plus, somebody might recognize me. I used to do health reporting in the early 80s at, at NBC here. And plus, most importantly, it's not about me. It's about the data. It's never been about me. It's about the data. And I said to him, take a copy of the video, show it to whoever. I'm out of here. Oh, and by the way, I called the air traffic controllers that I had spoken to a couple months ago to verify, which they did, that it was the same exact phenomenon in the same exact location again during the mass sighting. And they also said, over class, Beaver Street Airspace, a thousand feet altitude. And they also shared that there were a couple of pilots that called into the tower. One commercial pilot that was um, on departure, he said, what the hell are these lights over me? And another private pilot who called in, who was actually seeing the same six lights in a V formation when I first noticed them, and I ran outside to, to capture them, and it changed to a V of three lights, like the end points of the giant hmm. mile-wide V or, or triangle, uh, which we'll get to later, sure. um, because we finally found out who that private pilot was a couple years ago. At any rate, going on with the story, um, on March 13, 1997, for anyone that's not familiar with, with the fast sighting, and even if you've heard about it, uh, most of the media just picked up on the 8 to 10 time frame because thousands of people were outside looking up at the sky purposely that evening on March 13, 1997, at the hale Comet, which was very clear in the northwest sky, when they also caught a glimpse to one and we just heard a couple years ago from the director of the UFO reporting, National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, Peter Davenport, and I thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. I mean, he's gotten thousands of reports that one of the objects was actually eight miles wide, which was like, yeah, right, Peter. He said, no, really, from his data, whether it was these orbs in rock-solid formation that people were seeing or actual craft, that's another thing that people haven't heard about. Mm -hmm. um, not only that the um, mass sighting began at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, it wasn't just a couple hours, as you would hear in the media. It began at 3 p.m. in the afternoon daylight sightings in Arizona. 5 p.m. our Native Americans reported them in New Mexico. 7 o'clock hour and beyond in California. And actually, there's a terrific story um, of two commercial airline pilots, I, I tell the story in the book, that actually saw one of these 
mile or larger craft cover Las Vegas. And the, the sightings continue all the way until 5.30 the next morning. The last report that I know of personally, that I was told personally by a Boeing crewman, was that his whole crew was coming into Sky Harbor International Airport the next morning at 5.30 a.m. when one of these massive over-mile-wide craft was hovering over their tarmac. So we're talking about not only over a dozen hours, we're talking about one to eight mile wide objects, okay, that were slowly, and, and by the way, um, if anybody's on the website or gets to the website, Phoenix Lights Network, if they go to the GAP page, G-A-P, Geospatial Animation Project, 12 year study of hundreds of reports from the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, Arizona MUFON, um, Village Lab, which was a computer uh, clearinghouse lab in uh, near Arizona State University, and former Councilwoman Vice Mayor Francis Barwood, who I'll get to in a second, who was the only elected official who asked her innocently for an investigation months later in May. But at any rate, after 12 years and two or more people had to see the same craft to be in the study, it was concluded that there were 10 different crafts, and there are illustrations and animations on the GAP page, GAP, Geospatial Animation Project page on the Phoenix Lights Network website that people can take a peek at, beautiful, beautiful beautifully illustrated by Larry Lowe and, and animation, that whether it was one craft that could morph and look different, the perspective from where the person was standing, or an actual parade, which is ultimately, mm -hmm. after 12 years, what they concluded, because there were so many things going on, or parades, as well as these crafts, and, uh, in four different states, okay, at the same time. Um, but also, what was amazing was the technology itself. The, you're talking massive crap, I and mean, people actually were, were right underneath, at rooftop level, uh, but they would describe as gunmetal on the bottom and windows. Some people saw beings at the windows. Um, totally silent. I mean, the propulsion is mind-boggling that, that it was so massive, but there was mm -hmm. no noise. And some saw it take off at blink speed without even dispersing the air or, or having a uh, sonic boom. Others, if you look at that page, will see that one of the crabs actually uh, split in two and then shot straight up. Other people would see these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it. Incredible technology, to be sure, that we have not seen anywhere in the world. Um, but, you know, these Phoenix lights keep popping up, but we don't know who's creating them mm -hmm. um, worldwide uh, since the mass sighting. But at any rate, so we're talking incredible technology, over a dozen hours, um, and yet... There was no investigation, no explanation. I mean, as the story unfolds, it's fascinating. There's so much more to the story, but I'm sharing uh, for for the time that we have just the tip of the iceberg. But it was so interesting. There was no, and frustrating, by the way, for the witnesses. There was no investigation, no explanation. As I mentioned in May, Councilwoman Vice Mayor of Phoenix, Frances Barwood, innocently, she didn't see it, but she had so many of her constituents calling her and telling her about their sightings plus this is a safety a public safety issue asked innocently for an investigation at a council meeting in may and she was plastered by the media and i mean 
the ridicule and the snickering and the discrediting that was going on was really scary. I mean, I was so happy I stayed anonymous and I'm talking, I really stayed anonymous because I didn't know what I was going to do with what mm -hmm. I had. But once I heard that thousands of people had seen what I had seen, and then a week, well, I forgot to tell you, that the afternoon after I got home from the morning visit with the Mufon uh, uh, investigator on the 14th, the day after the mass sighting, I sat in front of the TV to see if they were even going to cover it. And at 4 o'clock, the, the early news, all of a sudden, my, my video was plastered on every news station. It was really <laughs> exciting. The people saw what we had been seeing. And by the 9 o'clock news, there were a couple of other videos that came out. Um, the Arrowhead and also a couple Boomerang videos, which are the ones that have been under fire for being, uh, which I'll share later what they came up with. Um, but at any rate, the other important thing that I, I don't want to forget to mention is that allegedly at 3 a.m. Uh, on the 14th, there was a crewman from the Air Force Base that called the National UFO Reporting Center, very professional, recorded message part of which we put in our documentary so people could hear uh, firsthand, describing military jets that took off from the Air Force Base to intercepting a gun camera film of one of these craft that was hovering, mile-wide craft hovering right in the middle of Phoenix, 7th Avenue and Indian School. As they got close, the lights started to dim, and as it got closer, the entire thing blinked out and disappeared. And he said that it freaked out one of the pilots and he had to help him out of his aircraft and the Air Force Base was on lockdown after that, um, which is interesting in and of itself. So they knew what was going on, okay, they were well aware. But when when Barwood mentioned in the, in the meeting that she wanted an investigation, she was just closed down. And it was really frustrating. Um, people, particularly outside of Arizona, had no idea what had happened here. And suddenly, June 18th, and again, I'm just giving you the, the very sparse outline mm -hmm. of this whole thing. There's so much more to the story because there were a number of paranormal things that also we won't have time today um, that I hope people will, will pick up the fourth edition of the book to, to learn about. Happened after the mass sighting, which is really mind-boggling. But at any rate, as the story unfolded, June 18th, 97, suddenly there's a front-page article in USA Today that opened up our sighting for the first time outside of Arizona to international knowledge. And we didn't have social media at the time. And it was amazing how in just that short period of time, by the next morning, it went viral. Every morning show was talking about it. Peter Jennings, Dan Rather, you name it. I mean, it was big, big national news, international news actually. And we were deluged by media from all over the world. And once they started talking to the witnesses, their stories were so detailed and so heartfelt that they too were saying, why isn't there an investigation? Why isn't there an explanation? Suddenly, the next, uh, next morning, after the USA Today article, July 19th, we get a public announcement on the radio, on TV, that the governor, Fife Symington, was calling an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon. And everybody took it seriously to divulge the lights over Phoenix, the culprit of the lights over Phoenix, that's what he said. And there were parents there and press, and he comes marching out 
one of his aides with a giant alien head costume and made a mockery of it, which was mm. really disconcerting, especially for parents who were with children during the mass sighting that saw something that was two, three moles wide, and he's making a joke out of it, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Well, yeah, that, that put a lid over it, I have to say, but not for me. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, he mentioned that people were panicking, you know, and all this. Uh, I have to mention this because it's really important that people know that there was not been one, and it's been 25 years, not one credible report of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights anomalies. Can't speak for other things, but I can for the Phoenix Lights. And when he talked about people being panicked, I'm sure the military and the government were panicking because now the cat was out of the bat with the USA Today article, right? And I started calling every military base for a couple of weeks to find out what was really going on. And I got as high up as I could and there conversations with me. They were, they were more interested in seeing what I had documented than giving an explanation. They didn't know. They were just as curious. And I never gave anybody details. I just told them that we saw something and I did take pictures. And I get a call a month later, July 24th, from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard. And she says, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was mm-hmm. I was looking for any logical explanation. And I had educated myself to to, you know, whatever it could have been. And she said, do you believe that in all these months, nobody looked at the air, at the log for visiting Air National Guard? And the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off military illumination flares in Operation Snowbird, which I later uh, learned, by the way, meant diversionary tactical maneuvers in military terms. So they may have been sending flares off somewhere, but that's not what, people saw that saw the, the true unknown. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she said, that must be what some people saw. So I said, well, when was the Maryland Air National Guard in town? She said, March 1st to the 15th. I said, were they in town in January? She said, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, um, my husband and I both witnessed and took pictures of the same phenomena in the same location two months before the mass sighting confirmed the next morning in both cases, two months before and the morning after the mass sighting by air traffic controllers in Sky Harbor International Airport as uh, being two unknowns in the same spot over class two restricted airspace. And she says, you never told me that, because I never really described any, mm-hmm. any details. And I said, besides that, I said, you're trying to tell me, and I've educated myself to, to anything logical, including military illumination flares. And I said, you're, and you're trying to tell me that flares, military flares that are dropped from an air airplane on a parachute that drift haphazardly and, and cannot keep, I mean, cannot keep a formation for a couple seconds and have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself and are meant to illuminate the area around it, which is what they're used for. Not one person, by the way, who saw the two unknowns till today <laughs> mentioned those characteristics. But I said to her, you're trying to tell me that flares cannot keep information traverse the entire state in a rock solid, equidistantly spaced V formation for hours? And she says, uh, I have a call coming in, I'll get back to you. Well, I'm still waiting for that call. <laughs> but anyway, uh, never heard from her again. 
Um, but at any rate, uh, it, it fast forward again, and uh, we're talking three years later. Mm-hmm. Frances Barwood, the vice mayor councilwoman, was then running for secretary of state on a platform to get answers for the Phoenix Lights. I mean, she wasn't taking it sitting down. Okay, she was amazing, and she was asking brilliantly for an, a reenactment. Hey. I'm open. I'm a healthy skeptic. When you're a physician, you must be open for anything that walks through the door. I got to see it to believe it. Okay. And I saw it and photographed it. So, hey, if it's military, shame on them for denying it. And, uh, you know, especially since it went right over people's heads at rooftop level. Some people said they could have thrown a rock at it. It was that close. Mm-hmm. But um, denying it for so long and, and, and right over people's heads. But if they did do it, show me. Right? Well, right before the third anniversary, we get a public announcement. Again, the three Air National Guards were coming into town to show everyone the Phoenix Lights. I believe it was New York, Michigan, and California. At any rate, we were ready. Okay? We was ready, and so were the, so was the media. And talk about a joke. If anybody's on the, on the uh, website, Phoenix Lights Network website, or gets on it later, go to the news page. And right in the middle there somewhere, there's a little block that says AZ Family, which shows exactly what they tried to do. They tried to make a triangle was upside down and fell apart immediately, a huge smoke trail, just what flares do. I mean, it really put the coffin in, a nail in the coffin uh, of their explanation. I mean, they blew it. I mean, they had a chance to, to show us the Phoenix Lights until today. The Phoenix Lights have never been recreated or explained, although they still appear worldwide. And it's kind of cool that now people look up and say, wow, there's the Phoenix Lights. Um, be that as it may, fast forward again till the 10 years, okay, right after the 10th anniversary, for whatever reason, our former governor, who had mocked the sighting in 97, came forward bravely in my mind. Now, he's no longer a governor and you know, an elected governor, but mm-hmm. he came forward to actually admit that he saw one of these craft. <laughs> and as an awarded military pilot, it definitely wasn't players. And in his own words, it was otherworldly, which, by the way, you will hear countries who are much more open to these phenomena than the United States. Mm-hmm. We're, get, we're getting there slowly now. Mm-hmm. But... They will say that they are otherworldly. Okay, they will use that that word. And then to top it off, in 2017, we have the front page New York Times article that divulged uh, that Harry Reid had funded a $22 million study, a military study, a Pentagon study of UFOs, and they started calling them unexplained aerial phenomena. And at about the same time, uh, the private pilot that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. also came forward um, to divulge what he had seen and how what he had reported. And that person was, from from um, actor Kurt Russell. Wow. But he was going to know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, his amazing report, UK uh, report, is on the photo page. If people scroll down a little bit, they'll see the link to that, um, a, a wonderful uh, report that 
not only does he share that his son, that they had a place, um, Goldie Hawn and, and him had a place out in Carefree, and uh, that they would visit on time to time, and the son was coming into town with him. And he, as they're approaching Sky Harbor, his son says, what's that, Dad? And it was the sea of six lights. Um, and, he, and he said, wow, that's unusual. Maybe I should report it, which he did. Um, and what he tells in this report is that, uh, and by the way, that was when I was photographing it. We were, he, was, he was reporting it as I was photographing it. But be that as it may, um, they never talked about it after that for two years. It just went unspoken. And he walked in one evening to his home, and Goldie Hawn was watching a show on UFOs, and they mentioned the Phoenix Lights, and he said, whoa, like a Richard Dreyfuss moment. Um, uh, you know, I recall that. And he looked at his log and saw that, indeed, he was the person that called into into the tower. So that's, that's pretty cool. I don't know. That is cool. Yeah, the more, more credible, credible people to come forward the more credibility is lent to, to the topic, obviously. Um, and uh, at, at any rate, which, which is really neat, too, is now things are starting to turn the corner. Um, there's been so much of the ridicule and, and stickering and discrediting. Um, now Navy pilots are coming forward. Actually, there's thousands of pilots that um, have had sightings but have been threatened with their career through the years that are starting to retire and come forward. So that's well, yeah, because you opened up uh, a can of worms about the paranormal and, and stuff that happened afterwards. Can you tell me about that? Well, first, if I may, um, and, and we'll see if we have time about that. Sure. Um, but one of the, 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 the most important, I mean, the, certainly the hard data is important. And, um, you know, I kind of described some of that to, to you. But what was really amazing to me is how it affected people in real time and long term. You know, we're so inundated with threat, 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 and harm, harm, harm with, with Hollywood and, and uh, uh, you know, the media out there that in the documentary, and, and we're so proud of our documentary, it's a real grassroots effort, and Dr. Gary Schwartz, who is the head of the conscious department, the study department at the University of Arizona, makes a very poignant statement that if you're inundated with threat of something, how are you supposed to react when you see that something? Mm -hmm. So, um, the, the movie Independence Day was really popular for, um, uh, you know, months before the mass sighting. And children, interesting enough, and it's funny that Oliver, uh, Kurt Russell's son also, although he was older than a child, um, also was the first to report it, would tell their parents, look, Mom, look, it was on Independence Day, Independence Day as the Z came towards them. But as it came closer, a calmness came over everyone, adults and children alike, a connectedness to the phenomenon that after it passed, they wanted to run after it or have their parents get in the car and chase it. Um, a real, real-time transformation. And as I mentioned earlier, there wasn't one report of harm, threat, or abduction associated with these phenomena. It was the complete opposite. People were in awe and in wonder, and I still have people emailing me that they felt blessed to have had the experience to this day. I mean, it's amazing how, you know, that doesn't happen with planes and helicopters and whatever. 
um, it really touched people at a very deep spiritual level. In fact, in long term, it's even more profound because people went into the peace movement, they went into the environmental movement, mm-hmm. um, people stopped eating meat. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how it really woke people up. Now, what was also interesting, which I think your, your audience would find interesting, and, and you as well, Charlotte, is that while I was investigating and, and speaking to, to witnesses, um, a number of them shared that they had had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting. And I have to admit, I did too. <laughs> and at eight years old, and I don't have time to get into that today, but it's it changed my life forever. I thought everybody knew the secret and everybody was uh, psychic and empathic. Um, but I came back a, a changed person, which happens with, with near-death experiencers. But what got me is that I wondered, could there be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena, that have a mystical light associated with the experience? And lo and behold, when I started looking, just like the UFO topic, I mean, there's lots of credible uh, material out there to really search it out, but I started searching for material of the connection between all of this unexplained phenomena, and lo and behold, I found the Omega Project at the University of Connecticut, Dr. Kenneth Ray, it's like four inches back, um, as well as Dr. Bruce Grayson and, and Dr. Stuart Twemlow, University of Virginia, and, and, and elsewhere, and even Dr. John Mack, who, the Pulitzer Prize-winning psychiatrist at, at Harvard were all coming to the conclusion that there is a connection. And I lay that very simply in the book. The Not only the experience itself is very similar, whatever the unexplained phenomena experiences. In fact, I started calling them all an up, UP, unexplained phenomena, mm-hmm. because they are an up. Because what's most powerful and profound is that the after effect the awakening, the enlightenment that happens within an individual who has an up experience is mind-boggling. I mean, it changes people forever. It's a connectedness to the universe and to the earth and to each other that most people have never felt in their entire life. And suddenly, not only are they awakened by this up experience to know that we're not alone in the universe, but also awakened to the spiritual beings that we are and the positive potential we have to make this world a better world. And half the book is about this. <laughs> By the way, seven years of keeping a intricate, intricate, meticulous journal that after seven years, I didn't know what to do with from the media reports and the witness reports and, and the history. I mean, the history alone, um, real briefly, I mean, these, phenomena have been showing up and documented since human documentation began. We have primitive caves in Peru and, and Pakistan that have long extinct animals etched out in the cave, and in the sky is what we would call today a UFO. And we have Sumerian writings and Indian writings, and even in the Bible, Ezekiel's wheel, which they describe, you know, could be interpreted as what they were seeing as a, as a UFO. Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward to the 15th and 16th centuries, and we have frescoes and paintings and in Europe that, that show people on the ground, just, I mean, looking up at the sky with, 
what we would see as a, as a UFO, as a being in the UFO. Okay, where did they get that idea? And then you fast forward again to 100 years before our mass sighting, 1897, actually in March of April, they were seeing um, uh, what was described as massive airships over Kansas, California, Washington, and Canada with removable lights. Okay, sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And that was six years before the Wright brothers took flight, by the way. And then you fast forward again, World War II, what they would call Foo Fighters. Um, I contacted Dr. Richard Haynes, who started NARCAP, which is an organization that has thousands of pilot sightings, and he studied the Foo Fighters during World War II. Foo uh, means fire in, in French, and each side thought the other side had this advanced spy technology of two or three of these orbs that were flying around their aircraft. And it wasn't until after the war that each side tried to find out Japan and Germany and the United States who had this advanced technology and nobody could find out who had it, right? And he, you know, told me that, that our orbs that we saw outside our bedroom window um, are, are very similar, if not identical, to the Foo Fighters of World War II. Hmm. And then you fast forward again and we have... Uh, the Lubbock sightings in 51, and also similar sightings over the Capitol in, in 52, um, where pictures were taken, um, as well as uh, fast forward again to the 80s and 90s. UK and Belgium, by the way, had very similar sightings, not only with orbs but with the triangle craft, that they are a model for what should happen, and I hope happens here. Um, universities and civilians and scientists and um, government and military all got together to investigate these phenomena. That's what should happen, right? Right. And then you fast forward again, and we have uh, Stephenville and, and other sightings in Illinois and around the world now. And what's really cool is that after the seven years, um, in good conscience, I had to go back to work. Uh, and I really did push my whole medical career aside to that time. But I had to go back to work to help put our younger sons in medical school. And I was chief clinical consultant of the Wellness and Imaging Center at the Arizona Heart Institute, the heart test where you see if you have calcium in your arteries. And in between patients, I would take the 750-page journal and start editing it down to the best, most credible data that I had discovered and um, finally ended up with a 230-page journal and, and um, after much soul-searching. I really did not want to come forward, but what do you do with that, Charlotte? I mean, I, I'm the only one with 35 millimeter mm-hmm. um, that have been, you know, uh, verified as unexplained by military and university optical experts, and finally um, decided to come forward because the data speaks for itself. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I'm mm-hmm. just sharing the data and letting people decide for themselves. And, um, and I haven't looked back. Uh, once I came forward in, in 2004, uh, I was inundated with requests to do a film, and uh, I was working seven to seven at the Arizona Heart Institute, doing radio programs like this into the night and for, for borders and Barnes and Noble tours on the weekends. And um, again, I don't believe in coincidence. And there were some parents that had seen one of the presentations and actually arranged, which I couldn't believe because it was such a uh, prohibitive topic in schools, and still is, by the way, um, invited me to a middle school to 
to present the fair fights, and uh, I walk in, and there were 200 middle school kids and parents and teachers. You could hear a pin drop. And it was the first time that I realized they had, who believes that we're alone in the universe? Not one hand went up. And I said, who believes that we're not alone in the universe? Every hand went up. Wow. And I thought, my gosh, I mean, these kids were like on the edge of their chairs. They thirst for this knowledge. And I realized for the first time that there is nothing, nothing in our history books about this topic. And I thought, geez, you know, and there was one fellow who actually graduated the Brooks Institute of Photography, which is one of the places we had our, um, uh, you know, my, my 35 millimeter and video allies and authenticated. And, and he came, he, he called me one day. His father was here. He's a doctor as well that we knew. And he said, I'm bringing my equipment. I said, I don't know. First of all, I don't have time. And secondly, I don't know if other people will do this. I stayed anonymous for seven years. And people, once I came forward, were starting, even doctors and nurses were pulling me aside and telling me their stories. I couldn't believe how many people have had experiences that they're afraid to talk about. And if you don't share it, it festers. It's very cathartic and healing to share. That's why as a physician, uh, I want to let people know, and, and you know, talking to your audience tonight, um, that if they want to contact me through the website, Phoenix Lights Network or Phoenix Lights Network, Facebook page and share it's very healing and cathartic to share and as an experiencer I know myself what that feels like right and as an educator for over 40 years of time on vital health issues how could I not share this material right. so I finally did come forward and and uh, and haven't looked back and we did the documentary after about a month um, I had to make a, a choice because it was just too overwhelming and every single person I called because I didn't know if the, if the people who were emailing me would do it. I stayed anonymous, and I certainly take confidentiality very seriously as a physician. And every single person I asked, including the professors who um, that headed the optical sciences department at the University of Arizona, they could have lost their their grants if they breathed the word of UFO at the time. But they all said they would do it, and. Um, we finally, you know, produced that and came out with that in 2005, and uh, and that's won over a dozen international awards. And then, um, just a few years ago, I've been working on a curriculum for schools mm -hmm. and uh, trying to get it into the classroom, as my uh, other health uh, projects were through Discovery Education. And um, it is really rough, especially <laughs> with COVID and everything else. So I put the best together in 150 and 160 page um, graphic novel activities coloring book called The Phoenix Lights um, uh, UFOs and Crop Circles Adventures of Sue, S-O, Field Observer, mm -hmm. and Hugh, H-U-G-H-U-F-O, a little alien. And I work with a Disney illustrator and we work with teachers, pilot program, um, Kate Hooker, who's fabulous, uh, actually has had a pilot program in her classroom, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, um, and uh, finally came out with, a, with uh, the graphic novel now, which is available, they're all available on Amazon, and has not only tells the story a little bit about the, the Phoenix Lights itself, but has iconic pictures through, the, through history, has 80 crop circles to color, and I, I got the most intricate, complex ones that could have possibly been made by, by human uh, capabilities, as well as activities, um, word finders and crossword puzzles and so forth for all ages. 
because I want to have something out there that everybody could enjoy and mm -hmm. learn and do together. Teachers with their students, and many teachers are using it in the classroom, as well as parents and grandparents with their kids and grandkids. So I just wanted to get that out there uh, so people know they're available and they're all on, on the Phoenix Lights uh, Network website, um, which is totally free. And also, if you have Amazon Prime, um, you can take a peek at our grassroots uh, film as well. Awesome. Uh, they don't make DVDs anymore, although if anybody cares for one, because the bonus features are tremendous. We have astronaut Echo Mitchell talking about the UFO cover-up, which I do not do. Uh, we have the 911 police operator, who was Phoenix police operator, who was on that night that got thousands of calls. We have a pilot that actually worked with flares. Um, the, the documentary is really cool. Uh, so if anybody wants the DVD itself with the bonus features, um, they can get it through our website or it's streaming now on Amazon because uh, they're no longer making DVDs for whatever reason. Sure. I guess people aren't using them much anymore. Um, but anyway, I wanted to get that out there. And, and this website is uh, packed, Phoenix Lights Network website, www.thephoenixlights.net, mm -hmm. um, with information to explore and consider. And I'm sure you have a lot of questions. I do. It's funny that you mentioned the the study about the paranormal because after reading some experiencer, um, you know, uh, books like the uh, the abduction in the Mojave, I started to wonder because of what I do as a ghost hunter, whether or not we're not hunting ghosts, whether or not we're hunting it, you know, we're, we're we're hearing and seeing people are seeing aliens because. From the right. descriptions you get, they can walk through walls, the temperature can exactly. change. Everything that we're doing as ghost hunters mm -hmm. is what they're capable of doing, just like it would make sense with the EVPs because it would be coming over dimensions and stuff like that. So I have always been, I've been wondering about that for the last two or three years. Absolutely. You hit on a really important point. That's why I always go back to the closed sighting. Because where did it go? It still felt like it was there. Actually, they after all three disappeared... They felt like mm -hmm. they were there watching for three weeks. Where did they go? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. They were there. Um, even though we couldn't see them. And the on the photo page, um, down at the bottom, there's two sunset pictures. Okay, I collect sunsets. I have like six books of sunsets. But I was taking them with the 35 millimeter. Did not see these when I was taking the pictures. But when I got the negatives back, and I, I made pictures of the negatives, Suddenly, I noticed on two different rolls, a month apart, it's the same huge, it's huge, because we had it analyzed, um, rod-shaped object that some people call a mothership. And in, over the Superstition Mountains here, um, that people have described, and also over the Navajo Nation, these massive cigar-shaped, rod-shaped uh, craft or, or objects where smaller objects are coming out from them, like orbs or, mm -hmm. or discs or whatever. And, you know, as you said, I mean, I didn't see that. I didn't see them when I was taking the pictures, but they were there. Right. Right? Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> they could be right here with us if we just don't see them. We're not in our, you know, I used to tell people when they walked in to have a, um, uh, a consultation after they had their, their heart scan and, and body scan, you know, this is... You're, this is your container for your lifetime. <laughs> they mm -hmm. would look at me like, wow, I never thought of it that way. I said, what you put into it or not is your choice and we get into the how to keep them healthy. But, you know, our container is limited in many ways, okay? Or we think it's, we're told that it's limited. I think we have much more capability.
disabilities that we're being told. Um, but the, we get into this in the book, by the way. And another thing I want to share with you, because you're into the whole ghost thing, is that um, not only did I have a near-death experience when I was younger, where I met three giant beings above the earth in glowing white robes, and I have felt that they have been my guides throughout my life, okay, and I've trusted in their guidance, and that's a whole other thing that I get into the, in the book, and we won't have time to get into it today, unfortunately, but what I do want to share that you and your uh, audience, I think, would really appreciate is that my uh, young, our younger son, who is a neurologist now, is home for a month. He was the only person that read the 750-page journal, because I didn't know what to do with it, to mm-hmm. be honest. I did not want to come forward. And I really trusted his opinion, and he looked at me after he read it. It was a mishmash of everything. And he said, Mom, you have to do this. This is too important not to share. And everything you've done has led up to this from the mouth of days. I mean, I've been doing health reporting and doing everything from reading, writing, researching, going out the filming and, and all that. Um, but besides that, our other son uh, is a, an attorney, and he's real skeptic. And he would say to me, Mom, you better not come forward. They're going to find out it's military and you'll look like an idiot until this happens. And I'm going to share this one thing, which is I just added to the um, to the fourth edition of the book. I didn't want to make another book because the first book, even though they asked me to, uh, was too important not to have there each time because not only was it a 750-page journal and every word that is there in the 230 original pages is there for a reason, and important, but as the story unfolded, I wanted people to really understand what was, what was happening and, and have that foundation of the first book. So it's in its fourth print now, and what I finally shared, which they would not let me share in the first edition because they thought it would confuse the public, but my older son had taken a picture 10 years after my mom passed. He was very, very close with my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, what he had taken a picture of a kitten um, do we have time for me to share this little story? Go ahead, no problem. Oh. Okay. Um, he wanted to get a Siamese kidney. He was at UCLA Law at the time. And this really brings everything together. That's why I'm sharing it. And I've been wanting to share it for so long that I finally share it in the, in the fourth edition. And by the way, the ebook has color pictures and live links. I, I recommend that first because it does have the color pictures and live links if you want to go on and and explore other things, including this picture, okay? But at any rate, he um, wanted to get a Siamese kitten for his then fiance, and they're married over 20 years now. And uh, he couldn't find one in LA, and he said, Mom, if you see an ad in the paper in Phoenix on a Wednesday, I'll fly in Friday night and go Saturday, and it's a good excuse to see you. Well, interestingly, um, I Valentine's Day passed, couldn't find, there weren't kittens yet or whatever, and in, on March the 7th or 8th, that's when they sent off those flares, mm-hmm. okay, to try to reenact the Phoenix Lights. I mean, talk about serendipities, okay, <laughs> and puzzle pieces fitting together, um, because that really convinced me more than anything, because they had their shot. I mean, if it was them, okay, show me, right. and they couldn't, right? Right. But I needed one more push to come forward. Okay, and a few weeks later, I see an ad, and I call the lady, and she says she's only going to be there Saturday morning. I said perfect, and I told our son to come in, and he came in Friday night, and we go to this house, and there were three kittens, and one runs right up to him, 
which was very endearing because that particular day, March 25th, was the 10th anniversary day of my mom's passing. Hmm. And even as skeptical as he was, we kind of kidded, this is a gift from my mom, this was his first pet, um, she'll be with you, and, you know, we wanted to believe, okay. And he goes back to L.A., calls me up, he says, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I said, what's the matter? He said, I got this iZone Polaroid camera, it's real little, iZone Polaroid camera at the airport, and when I got home, I was alone in the apartment with the kitten. I took the whole roll, and when I laid out all the strips, in the middle of the roll, it happens to be strip number five, there's an arm with a hand in front of the kitten's face, and you can see through the hand, it's translucent, and it looks like my mom's hand. Now, let me give you a little history here. Not only was, was our son the first grandchild, but my, mo my mom doted on him. It was, I mean, it, it, just her whole world was him, okay? Which was really significant in this kind of an instance that she would come through, okay? Number one. Number two, she had crippling juvenile arthritis. She went through nursing school in a wheelchair, became head RN of the NICU, the, the um, premature nursery at Albert Einstein Hospital in Philadelphia. And uh, I mean, she couldn't move down. She was an incredible lady. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for her, God bless her. Um, but I was skeptical and I said, because she had a very distinctive arthritic hand, mm -hmm. okay, from her arthritis. But I was skeptical and I said, you got your hand in a picture. Mom, it's a right hand. I was taking it with my right hand. It's impossible. And it looks like my mom's hand. I said, fine. I said, you're graduating in May from law school. Wait till I get there. You'll show me. Okay. And I forgot about it. He comes marching out. And it's a visual. So I hope people do pick up the book because it blows people's minds when they see it, actually. He walks in with that strip. I almost fell off my chair. I mean... And we had it enlarged. I had it analyzed a couple of times, okay? It was even in a movie. Um, Paul Davids, who did uh, the Roswell TV movie years and years ago, did a uh, movie called Life After Death Experiment. And um, he went was looking for the most credible uh, data. And Dr. Gary Schwartz had recommended me get in touch with me because of this picture, and it blew him away. And he called me up, actually, but when we enlarge the photograph, not only is there an arm cupping the kitten from behind, forget the, the don't forget it, but there's an arm in front of the kitten, and you can see that the hand is translucent, but there's an arm cupping the kitten from behind. You can see through the arm on the ground is Brett's Jansport backpack, and you can see the logo. Mm -hmm. And also, he asked me, does your mom, did your mom wear glasses? And I said, yes, incessantly with the, you know, the string around her neck. They're there in the picture. Okay. Whoa. Plus, plus, in all of my research and my own near-death experience, the beings that, that I saw were wearing white robes, right? And you'll hear that from many people who have seen ETs and um, ancestors that people are wearing white robes. In the picture, the arm is wearing a white robe, okay? Now, being the healthy skeptic that I am, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to find a picture of my mom that looks similar. Mm -hmm. I found a picture, and that's also in the book, of her holding a preemie baby, and she must have been in her 30s or 40s at the time. Almost, thank goodness it's not exact, obviously, but almost the same way, 
with her hand in front of the baby, cupping the baby from behind. There is no doubt in my mind, and, and his wedding actually was the following September, and I took the picture with me, and every single person that knew my mom looked at it and said, oh my God, that's Ruth's hand. <laughs> that was 10 years after she passed. Wow. She came through. So that did it for me, Charlotte. I, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Not only would he let him know, her grandson know, that she was with him, but I know that with her little message to me to say, get off your butt and do this, this is real. And it really brings everything together. Like I found the connection between all unexplained phenomena, but the fact that we do go on and then it confirms that we do go on, I think that's really important and you probably agree with me for people to know not only the fact that it, it's real, but, and it's not, you know, people say, do you believe in UFOs? Do you believe? It's not a belief anymore, it's a knowing. Right. Charlotte, it's a knowing. Right. But I think it would not only give people comfort that we do go on and we will see our loved ones again, and I get into all this in the book, by mm -hmm. the way, but also uh, my hope would be that people would take stock in what they do in their lifetime, that we have this precious gift given to us to live life on earth. And I came back with three A's from a, a very innocent <laughs> child um, with profound knowledge when I came back from my near-death experience, awareness of everything around me. My eyes were open. And if you look at my bio on the, on the Phoenix Life Network page, I have tried to take advantage of opportunities. And that's the thing. If people realize that things may be there for a reason, the people they meet, how they treat people, and, and what happens um, after they do treat people and mm -hmm. animals and different things certain ways, whether they're kind or they're, they're not, it's like a, a pebble in a pond, uh, it's very far-reaching, okay? If you're nasty to someone, they might go back home and yell at their kid or whatever. And it's, it's like a, 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 a ripple effect. Um, so being aware of what is coming before you and how you... Um, uh, what you do with that opportunity or with that person you meet. Um, also, attitude is really important, and I've seen that in medicine. People that have negative attitudes, and I've seen this firsthand, are sicker. I mean, they actually, it, it, it affects your mind and your body, and I don't know about you, but I do believe that there are negative and positive energies out there, and I mm -hmm. think that you feed them with your negativity, as well as the positive when you're positive, you bring positivity towards you and you emulate positivity out. So attitude is so important for your well-being, for your mind and your body and spirit. And then the last thing is, is appreciation. Mm -hmm. um, the three A's, appreciation for, for what you have and for what we have on this earth, whatever it is. And everybody goes through hard times. Uh, in fact, every night I, I write down what I appreciated from that day. And when you really um, feed into that and, and, and a positive attitude and gratitude, um, it really makes your life a, a happier life. And, and you know, uh, like I said, it's a choice for if people want to do that or not. Um, but at any rate, I'm, gonna, I'm lending those three A's <laughs> on my own there's that experience. But the picture itself that I'm sharing now with, with that my mom came through, I hope people do take stock in what they do selfishly while they're here on earth and maybe would make them a better person because they would know that it's going to follow.
Right. Absolutely. Dr. Katai, this time has blown by, and my, we, we, we could talk for hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's so much more to this story. I'm not kidding. When I said it's just the tip of the iceberg with the Phoenix Lights mass sighting, it really is. And then, like I mentioned, and I'm not going to spoil it because a, a few paranormal things right. also happened that convinced me that this is real and, and that I have to come forward. So I hope people do pick up pick up the book. It's a fast read. And, uh, and I've even had people tell me that they've, they've gotten the book and they put it down to go out to the market or whatever, and their husband came home and said, like, what are you reading this for? And then they go out again and they come back and their husband won't give it back to them. <laughs> They're so into it. Um, it's, really, it's really fascinating in and of itself. So I appreciate you letting me share some of that. With you. I would love to get you back on to talk more about this. We will do. We will get that together. But uh, in the meantime, I, I really appreciate you guys letting me share. I know I get very passionate, so I That's apologize okay. to, your, no. to you and your audience, but, um, but I wanted to get a lot in. Uh, That's you know, fine. Get, in, in the time that we know. had, right. Understood. Yeah, I would yeah. love to get you back on. In fact, I'll email you afterwards, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Because there's, so much, more this, yeah, yeah. The, there's yeah. so much more to this story that needs to oh, be told. Absolutely. Yeah, and the 25th anniversary, which I cannot believe, is in March. So, you know, maybe we'll do something closer to there. So we could do thank that. Thank you so much again for, for your kindness and your interest. And, um, you know, I hope that, the, uh, you know, the listeners out there will go on the website. There's so much um, to the story, and it's, it's really fun to see that there's data now. Okay, and in science, we look for repeatability, and I've documented that repeatability. <laughs> so it cannot be denied. Um, and hopefully one day it'll be explained and we'll find out um, who, who has been driving, who's behind all this. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, I urge people to keep looking up. Absolutely. All right, Doctor, thank you so much. Have a good evening. We'll talk soon. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was a fascinating show. Let me turn this other mic off before I blow this thing up. Um I could talk to her for hours about this stuff, and she's so passionate about it. Just fa it's absolutely fascinating. I remember when the reports about these lights were coming out, and I remember, you know, they're, they're, they're not only is there her documentary, but there's others as well that are absolutely fascinating. And um, I'm just I'm glad she was able to come on with us. Um, it took we were trying to figure out what day and all this was going on last month, and you know, and all that good stuff. But we were able to do it. Monday, we're going to have Ryan Musgrave on. It's going to be um, he's he's in Australia. And, uh, but he's going to be on the regular time at 6.30 p.m. And uh, Pacific, this time, our usual time. And he's going to be talking about crypto-terrestrial contact. So that's going to be an interesting conversation as well. Uh, my, name, again, my name is Charlotte. I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here. Uh, we're trying to get our YouTube numbers up. We're at 96 right now. We want to get up a lot higher than that because what's happening is nobody can find us on YouTube. It takes a lot to find the California Haunts YouTube website. And uh, we would like to get a, a, um, a dedicated URL to that site. And the only way to do that is to get 100 or more um, subscribers. And uh, so if we do that and hold that for maybe a month or so, they'll, they'll let us have a dedicated link to it. Otherwise, we have a website for the California Haunts Radio Show. It's CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, and you can go there, click on a video, 
and you can go to directly to the YouTube site and subscribe from there. Also, if you go up to where the archives are, we've got the archives going back for the last year and a half, two years, that you can take a look at all our shows because we've had some great guests on in the past. But I want to thank you guys for coming. I will see you on Monday at 6.30 p.m. our usual time. And I'm going to go ahead and share you, uh, share, <laughs> share with you, share you. It's late for me. Share with you the information on how to contact uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Katai and her website, which is thephoenixlights.net. I explored it. It's a fabulous website to explore. Her books, The Phoenix Lights, A uh, Skeptic's Discovery, That We're Not Alone, and that is available at Amazon. So you guys can go to Amazon and pick that up. As well, I, th I think there's still a DVD over there that you can get of her documentary as well. As I think I saw it the other day. I could be wrong. Don't hold me to it. Anyway, again, I want to thank you guys for coming. And also, we are a nonprofit organization. And funding for this, I hit it again. See that? I got to get used to this thing. And funding for this comes out of my pocket. So if you can help me out, because we're trying to keep this thing on the air, this is my KVIE moment to ask you guys for donations because we, we want to keep bringing these programs to you and uh, I pay everything out of pocket so if you could find it in your heart to donate that would be great at paypal.me at California Haunts it's that easy paypal.me at California Haunts anyway I will see you Monday have a good weekend